Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 336 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, this is the moment so many of you have been waiting for. I get messages all the time. When's Mike Todd on? When's Mike Todd on? Well, let me bring you a surprise. Okay, how about today and tomorrow? Yeah, this episode and the next episode, we actually snuck another one in just recently, a coronavirus update with Mike Todd that we're going to bring you tomorrow This episode was recorded at Transformation Church back in February, long before uh, we all moved into shutdown, lockdown, reopening, the whole deal. And it is so good, we decided to bring it to you. Also, a really exciting day. Mike's first book, Relationship Goals, is available today and uh, would not shock me if it quickly became the best-selling book in the world. Anyway, he is a really special leader. I've gotten to know Mike over the last few months, and I got to tell you, I have been excited. Sometimes the more you get to know somebody, the more you like them, and that's what I'm discovering about Mike Todd. We talked today about the meteoric rise of Transformation Church. Make sure you do not miss tomorrow's episode where we dive into 10x growth for Transformation Church during the coronavirus and what it means to be an online church. It's fascinating. On this one, we sort of tell you the backstory um, on their rise, blowing up on social media, and my favorite, the power of 51% certainty in decision-making. Today's episode is brought to you by Crafting Character and Ministry Boost. And uh, we so thank our partners for bringing this to you for free all the time. And uh, yeah, Mike, uh, just to give you an idea of who he is, he is the lead pastor of Transformation Church. So uh, they were a church of about 200 people in 2015. And they have seen astronomical growth under Mike's leadership over the last four and a half, five years. Uh, We get into exactly how that happened. Uh, He is now an author. He has spoken at so many of the leading conferences, Elevation Church, C3 Conference, Lakewood Church with Joel Osteen, VU Conference, XO Conference, Catalyst, and uh, even with Kanye West last fall. Uh, So many other things going on in his life. And he's been so generous with his time. In fact, when we signed back on for tomorrow's episode, we spent about eh, 25, 30 minutes together just giving you an update. It is worth an episode all by itself. So this is actually the first week we brought you three episodes in a long, long time. Uh, but if you haven't subscribed, you will enjoy them all, I think, and make sure you do that. And if you're enjoying this, leave a rating and review. We would love to get that to you. So CDF Capital is launching a brand new ministry for church communicators called Craft and Character. It's led by Steve Carter, one of the best teachers today. And you can learn more at craftingcharacter.org. And here's the deal. If you're a ministry communicator, which a lot of us are, we're doing a live broadcast event June the 4th. I will be there, Steve Carter will, Sean Morgan, and Darius Daniels. It'll be backroom, personal, and conversational where we will walk you through the craft of public speaking, uh, developing the personal character of a pastor. And rather than just getting a content dump, you're going to get some backstage access to, I think, two of the best communicators around today, Steve Carter and Darius Daniels. Uh, Sean Morgan and I will host that. So what you can do is go to craftingcharacter.org. You will get a 20% discount if you do that before May 15th. So make sure you check that out. That's brand new. If you are a communicator in person or online, you definitely want to get in on that. And then let's talk about church growth for a minute. Most of the time when we're thinking about growing our ministries, we think about ways we can reach new people. And you're probably, like most churches, reaching a lot of new people online. But what gets neglected is the strategy to get new guests to come back for a second or third time, whether that's in person or online, which begs the question, what's your strategy for that? Over at Ministry Boost, they've got an exciting new resource called the New Family Retention Plan. It's a five-part framework for new family retention you can grab for just $25. And as a listener of this podcast, you also can get a free resource that will help you better engage and connect with families as you navigate COVID-19 and the recovery in the new landscape ahead. So uh, head on over to ministryboost.org forward slash carry. That's ministryboost.org 
forward slash carry. Uh, so appreciate our partners. Make sure you check that stuff out. At the end of this episode, uh, in what I'm thinking about, uh, I'm going to go a little bit deeper on online church attendance and share some questions about how to measure it. And then, of course, uh, remember, we've got a second episode with Mike Todd coming up tomorrow. So this one was recorded in February before the world changed. It is so, so good. And it's an absolute delight to bring you Mike Todd. I am so excited to be here with you today, man. Well, it's been great. We're getting to know each other a little bit. And uh, here we are at Transformation Church, yes, which sir. is an arena. An arena. An arena, which is really, really cool. You've had a rocket ride in the last 24 months. Yes, sir. Do you want to walk us through <laughs> sort of <laughs> the whiplash that, that's been happening? I'd love just to, because to, I think a lot of people know your story, but it's pretty remarkable what's happened because it didn't just start 24 months ago. No, sir. This has been a, um, a kind of culmination, if you will, um, of a lot of obedience steps mm -hmm. along the way. Um, but I don't know how much time we have because this is a long story. But all the time in the okay, world. Okay, for okay, you, okay, my okay. Um, I think the best place to start this is that I um, always thought I would be in music production. I play a few instruments, have always done music, and I thought that's where I'm going to make my mark on the world. Uh -huh. And God kind of used music as a segue into uh, ministry. And I started off as the sound man at Greenwood Christian Center. And um, I, as the sound man there, I went from the sound man to over the music, from over the uh, worship experience um, as a music director to um, the uh, youth pastor, from the youth pastor to the executive pastor, and from the executive pastor to the lead pastor in five years. Wow. And how that happens, I have no idea except <laughs> I lived it. Like... <laughs> And um, it was just step after step, moment after moment, movement after movement, obedience after obedience, and working the season I was in that produced this um, amazing moment of really trying to impact the world um, using my gift of communication. And um, it's been a lot of leadership lessons I've learned along the way, a lot of trial and error of finding out uh, who I am. But um, this has been kind of one of those crazy, crazy, crazy roller coaster rides of um, a bunch of obedience steps. And uh, so take us back. Okay. Because you took over. You didn't start no. Transformation Church. Transformation Church has been going for 21 years. We just celebrated two weeks ago, 21 years of ministry and, as a church, and then five years of me and Natalie being a pastor. And it was started by uh, Gary McIntosh and Debbie McIntosh, which are a white, um, older, amazing couple. And if you're um, listening to this, the reason why that's so powerful in um, our day and age is because they started a church in the hood of Tulsa. Yeah, North Tulsa. In North Tulsa, right? where one of the worst race massacres happened in 1921, Black Wall Street. And they felt that they were supposed to go there and reverse the curse. And they started a church there. And then to be able to hand it over 15 years later to a young African-American leader who um, then would take it to the world in a different kind of way has been a really, really cool um, story that has been written. So can you, I just found out, I've been in Tulsa for a couple of days okay. getting ready for this. I did not know the story of Black Wall Street. Oh yeah. Can you give us what happened, it's just devastating. It's completely devastating. And it's a story that's so unfortunately not told in American history no. or even Oklahoma I have a history. degree in American history. Yeah, no. I didn't know about it. Um, 1921, um, over a very minimal um, interaction between um, a young lady and a man in um, of different races and different classes and different um, socioeconomic classes, um, this massacre started. And there's conspiracy theories around it. There's right. all kind of stuff that go with it. But the, the whole um, crux of it is that an entire community that was at one time the wealthiest community of African-Americans in the U.S. Like they Black called Wall it Street. Black Wall Street. It was that influential with um, all types of businesses and communities and self-sustaining yeah. and stuff. Within 48 hours, it was completely burned down, bombed, and... Um, many people lost their lives. And since that time, it has still been the oppressed and depressed area of our city. 
So you can drive over there now and see the disparity between um, just the people that live there mm -hmm. and, um, and the rest of our city. And it's kind of a hush-hush, kept quiet type of thing. But um, there are so many amazing people that I believe that God has called our church to reach. And so our founding pastor started the church right in the middle of that devastation in 1999 and started to be the bridge of racial reconciliation. So to even be continuing that on and the diversity that we see in these seats every Sunday is just a testament to the vision he started being carried on by another generation. So you take over in 2015. Yes, sir. And how big is the church at that point? 350 people. Right. And so, yeah, and most of them when I took over were like, yeah, this is not gonna last. <laughs> so uh, we're leaving. And well, so, I see the picture in the lobby when you come into Transformation Church and you look at you, uh, you're how old? When 26, you be, I believe. 26. And then you look at the senior pastor, it's like, yeah, you oh, no, would is, not normally put you two together. I think, um, according to my knowledge, one of the only successful transitions of leadership from a white elder um, person mm. to a young African-American in American history. Wow. So you start out 350 people. Yes, and for a few years, there's no inflection point. You, oh, you no. started to grow a little bit. Just, but I mean, like, Everybody that would come, somebody would leave. Like, it was kind of like one of those things. It was like, oh, we got a new family. And then they would tell me, like, the Johnsons just left. And it, exactly. it was just they one took of their the, money with yeah, them. Yeah, they took yeah. everything with them. And um, for the first 2015, 2016, a lot of those years were just maintaining. Yeah. And um, I lost, honestly, all of my staff the second year of leadership. So they all left? It, for some other, and not sure. like a revolt or something like mm. that, but um, some people didn't work out. Yeah. Some people had a transition in life and other people felt like they couldn't um, go with my leadership. And so, I mean, literally, I'll let you meet her before you leave. But Miss Tammy, um, she was the um, uh, over all of the business. She's been my only staff member that stayed with me from before I became the pastor to the transition to now. And she's our CFO. And there would be days I would walk into the office um, with just me and her. And I would be talking in faith to people who weren't there. Hey, Sally, it's so good to see you. How are the kids, John? And she would be cracking, uh, I mean, dying laughing because she's like, what are you doing? I said, one day we'll have a staff that I'll have to talk to and see. But today to encourage myself, I got to do it in faith. And so, <laughs> so there's um, no one there. No one there. Wow. But that was, that was a season that really made me. Because mm. I thought if... I had all my friends that I'd done youth ministry with and all these crazy graphic designers and all of these people who said they believed in me if we were a team and we were all there, that I could be a pastor because I had no qualifications to be right. able to do it. And so I felt like I needed everybody. And, and looking hindsight, I feel like God stripped everybody away to make sure that I knew I was called to this besides anybody else. How did you keep yourself encouraged in those first few years? I, I relied heavy on the vision um, and that's why I believe that that God tells us it's not a vision until you write it down and make it plain. Um, and, and too many people, they have visions and dreams. I feel like it's dreams when it's in your head. It's an actual vision when you write it down. Okay. And most people are living their life in a dreamland instead of an actual vision. And when I wrote that vision down that we would represent God to the lost and found for transformation in Christ. And I wrote the vision down that we would be multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multiplying and multi-campus. When I wrote the vision down that one day our church would, would expand the globe and be able to impact people in places we would never be able to set foot in. When, when God gave me the vision of this building, like all of those things were vision. And so instead of looking at sight, Mm -hmm. I had to close my eyes and see vision. See, most people think vision and sight are the same thing, but, but sight is what you see with your eyes open. Vision is what you see with your eyes closed. I saw this. I was preaching to this room before I ever actually did because my sight was I was preaching to 150 people who seemed like they didn't want to be there sometimes <laughs> and like some of them had just drank pickle juice. Like I, that's what my sight was. But my vision was I was speaking into arena of people. I was I was speaking to um, white and black, young and old, and I, that was my vision. And so that's really what kept me encouraged. And then going to other places like 
other churches, other ministries, other concerts that gave my vision an actual sight. Yeah. So I would go to a Justin Bieber, a Justin Timberlake concert, and I would look at the technology and I'd see the lights hanging and I would see the LED screens. And I was like, I saw that in my vision and it's possible because I see it with my sight. And that's really how I stayed encouraged in those years. So take us back, because you shared this with me before we yeah. started filming. Um, you had a day where you actually wrote down when, and your church wasn't very big, that you would be right here yes, in what was the Spirit Center? Spirit Bank Event Center. Okay, Spirit Bank Event Center, what a which name. is now Transformation Church. And I mean, we're in an arena that seats 4,000 ish. 4,500 people. 4,500 people. Yeah. 4, people. We're in an arena that used to be for sports, and you'll fill this on Sunday morning. Yeah. And you had that vision. So tell us about that that day. So I think one of the craziest things about my journey is that um, I was offered a lot of opportunities, I feel, by God, and I took them. Mm. So one day in my quiet time, I get up and I pray and I meditate. I felt like, hey, write this down. I was like, write this down? Okay. So I get my laptop up and it's like the Spirit Bank Event Center will be Transformation Church. And I just go down and I mean, it seems completely crazy in uh -huh. the moment, like completely nutty. We have no money. We have nobody barely coming to the church. But I write down this whole document and uh, I go to Google and I look up a picture of the Spirit Bank Event Center. And when I do that, I take it off and I, I with pages, I, I didn't have any real Photoshop experience. So pages, I did my best and I tried to be very intentional. I put the Transformation Church logo on it and I spelled transformation wrong for some reason. <laughs> and, and all of these things. And I wrote it down and then I marked it. It was March 9th, 2015, 7.29 a.m. in Bella's room, which is my oldest daughter. Wow. And um, when I look at that document today, Carrie, I just get emotional mm. because there was no actual way that I could make that happen. Yeah. The only thing that I did was I believed enough to write the vision down. You, you didn't even have momentum at that no, point. No, 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 yeah. no. Like I, I just had a migraine. I think that no momentum. <laughs> I just had a migraine at that point. And, and I was faithful yeah. and I was continue to work on my craft and work on uh -huh. my gift. But I wrote that down. I shared it with three or four people. And um, that was one what month. What did they say? Uh, you know, the pa the patronizing, <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, good for yeah, you. Okay. Michael. Yeah, that's going to be yeah. good. Like, but, but the one thing I can say is that um, the pastor emeritus, Bishop McIntosh, um, I told him and he said, let's go over. Let's go see it. And uh, we came over here. We broke in. Um, I admit. <laughs> we broke in. <laughs> the door was open. But yeah. we came in and um, we walked around as much as we could get into. And he said, I think this is your building. And I said, I think this is too. He said, stand right there and take a picture. And I have the picture of, wow. of me standing in the lobby with my hands wide open and he's behind the camera, which is such a, a chilling picture or an invigorating picture in my mind that the person who started this, who handed it over to somebody and is just trying to keep it alive, he had the faith to encourage me in that moment. Hey, that one day I think this thing that would eclipse anything we've ever done could be yours and took the picture of it and documented it. And uh, I have that picture today. I showed our church a few weeks ago uh -huh. um, because we believe that we're standing in history, but we're still in the making. And so where we're at right now, though, it's amazing. It's just the beginning. I really do believe. And um, I'm getting new visions. <laughs> so that's a fun, it's a fun time to be in. So, yeah. How did they know? How did you know that wasn't just illusion? <laughs> Well, the thing that I always tell people is that in this walk with Christ, I don't think you're ever going to be 100% sure. Yeah. I think people always mm -hmm. try to make it act like, like I knew it was God. I knew it was God. I knew this was what I was supposed to do. But I honestly think it proves to be God. Ah. It proves to, to actually work out. And I think our thing is to have faith. And without faith, it's impossible to, to do a lot of things. And I, I, I tell people, I told my church, I said, I live my life at 51%. I, I have this philosophy that if I feel like it's God, 51%, I'm doing it. Yeah. And a lot of people um, want to be 80%, 90%, 100% sure it's God before they take a step. Mm. But anytime that I look at 
um, anybody in leadership who's been successful at anything, nobody knew. Oh yeah. They had to. They had to believe. Uh huh. And um and and so for me in prayer in talking to counsel, if I'm 51 percent sure, they know I'm going for it. Like they know that if if he thinks that this is one percent over a negative, uh huh, it's gonna happen. And it's proven to be God over and over and over again. Even down to a year ago when I told the team, like, hey, if this Spear Bank event center comes open, because another company had a bid on it and the and they told us it was not available. Right. And um literally that deal fell through. And I said, if they tell us this open, we're going for it. And they're like, well, we haven't done all the specs and we haven't done it. I said, I got this word from God <laughs> five years ago, and now we're in a position. Like that was the one percent I needed to go. And and I've found that even if it wasn't God, he knew he had somebody he could trust. I, like, oh, that's good. So, 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 like, cause I thought it was him, mm. I would go. And it takes me back to like Abraham when he says to Abraham in the Bible, like, "Hey, go to the land that I will show you." Right. Most of us would need God to lay it all the way out. Go to the land that is right here at this coordinates that you'll meet Betty at the city gates. <laughs> um, she's gonna have, we want it all planned out. And I feel like so many of us miss things cause we don't walk by faith, we walk by sight. And um, for me, I, it, it, this is the thing, it may be delusional. Right. It may be delusional to some people. It may be, this will never be able to happen. But I found that in my relationship with God and my leadership, when I'm 51% sure, I bet on that. And every time I bet on it, I either learn something amazing along the way that's preparation for the next, or it happens. Right. It hasn't all been up and to the right. No. Have you no, had no, some no. of those 51% that have turned out to be like, yep, shouldn't have done that? Definitely. <laughs> I've had to fire a few of them. Uh -huh. I, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. th there, there are definitely, but if you turn every um, potential L, like a loss, into a lesson, you're still winning. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people... I, I always, I call it the bounce back. Like I'm always looking for how does this loss turn into a greater trajectory of upswing? And mm. once, once I have the attitude and that perspective as I approach things, um, things don't stay losses for long. Let's uh, talk about, and this is like a personal question I ask myself almost daily. Yeah. Let's talk about motive. Okay. How do you keep your motive pure yeah because there's a there's some god in it yeah but there's always self well it's always it's you first uh -huh. you, you can't god doesn't bless who you pretend to be he blesses who you really are um and i think that there have been several things that have helped my motive um i have a wife named natalie that um really does help me remember why um i'm being used and what what i really do believe when a lot of big things come or opportunities. I have to remember assignment. And um, that that has really helped my motive. The second thing that has helped my motive is hearing the stories of people and how it's impacting their life and how I would never want to pervert or taint that. Mm. Like when, when you hear stories of families being reconciled who have never been to Tulsa, but they watch in different areas of the country, what we're doing, and it's the only thing they can talk about without arguing. <laughs> and they've done it for a year, and now they're having Christmas together for the first time. Like, I don't, I don't wanna, like, if I add ambition into this and becoming a, a money um, grabber or yeah. anything, like, I feel like those things, it makes me afraid that that level of transformation, which is the whole reason we're here, could be tainted by my own thing. And I, it just, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to mess with that. Like, yeah. I don't, I want to do that. And I think the last thing that has really, um, like purified my motives, I'll say two more things, if that's okay. Yeah. That have purified my motives is my daily time of God. That, that prayer that, that David prayed, I pray all the time, search me, oh God. Mm. If there's anything in me that is not like you. Now, this is a scary prayer for all the listeners. Do not pray this prayer if you don't want to <laughs> be exposed. But when I pray, like, search me, oh God, if there's anything in me that's not like you, take it out, show it to me, remove it. He does that. Like how he answers prayers that we are excited about, posting about, and we're talking about the blessings of God, he'll answer that prayer too. Uh -huh. And I'll say something and was like, oh, snap. Like, that was ugly. And that was in my heart. Yeah. Or I'll, 
I'll do something and like the whole motive of that was wrong. And, and when that happens and I'm exposed to that, it's that thing where you get to either humble yourself or be humbled. Mm-hmm. And I've just chosen like, I don't ever want God to humble me. So like I'll humble myself under the mighty hand of God. And so it's been a fun thing with that. And then God's given me um, an awesome opportunity to remember that all of this really doesn't mean anything. Uh, my son, MJ, he's four years old. He has autism. And at the same trajectory of all of this exposure and attention, we find out my son has autism. And it made everything really be like great and not that great all at the same time. It made everything be like, this did what? Who just called? What? <laughs> where am I going? Like, they want to pay how much? Like, all of that be like, but if I could hear my son say, Daddy, or if I, if he could be able to eat more and have a more, like, it, it just made it all. And so, um, looking at it, still being in the middle of it, yeah. it's one of those things that has become an anchor. And I know that, that as big as God wants to use us, He's given me this anchor to keep me dependent. And I believe all of us have that in some way, mm-hmm. whether we recognize it or not there's this thing that God's trying to use to anchor. And you can be trying to like untether yourself, but I honestly think it's the greatest thing that has happened to me because it's kept me humble and it's kept my motive pure. And I believe those are the things that allow me to work in transparency and authenticity. I want to come back to that. Okay. But let's talk about the inflection points. Yeah. So something happened a couple of years ago. It was 2018 where one of your videos just, so Take us from 2015 to that moment when your first video kind of took off online. Okay. What was the trajectory? 2015, I became the pastor of the church. Nobody was coming to church. I almost didn't survive, okay? <laughs> 2016, God told me to believe to go beyond. And that year, um, we gained $400,000 in the budget and 400 new families came to the church. So that for me as a, 20, a late 20s church planner, I could have died and gone to heaven that day. You that know what was I'm like, that we're was there. We we're there. We're in it. the promised land. We're going <laughs> to be okay. Um, 2017, God said stride, S-T-R-I-D-E. And I was like, stride, I don't even say that word. I don't even know what that means. I had to look it up. And it means to walk in long, decisive steps in an intentional direction. And I was like, that's a dumb word. Like, I don't, like, why would you walk somewhere when you could run? Yeah. And um, I went back and forth with one of my mentors, Tim Ross, around this subject. And we concluded as we searched the scriptures that Jesus fulfilled every messianic prophecy ever spoken about him. And he did it in three years, Carrie, but you never hear about him running to his next appointment. You're right. He walked everywhere and he walked to Samaria and they walked to Jerusalem. Like they walked. And if I was the son of God, I would at least had a horse. I would have at least had a carriage. (laughs) Some of the disciples would have been the first Uber. I would (laughs) have done something. Hurry up, Peter. Come Come on. on. But they walked everywhere. Mm. And, and, and this is what I coined the phrase as, they found the pace of grace. Mm. They were graced for a certain pace that could have been faster, but they would have been outside of that window of grace. And um, I adopted that. And it culminated in 2017, December 5th and 6th of me canceling Christmas. And for a church planner, I mean, Christmas and Easter, yeah, that's, that's when, that's a Super Bowl. That's when we want fire, fireworks, pyrotechnics. We need ice cream sandwiches and we need the kids to get tattoos that say Jesus lives. Like we need the whole thing. And God said, cancel it. Have a regular Christmas service and you preach. That's wow. it. And that was a huge face step for me at the time because I didn't really know like that that was okay to do. Right. I felt like that was doing under what we should be so doing. So you had a big production in your head Huge ready to pro- go. I mean, it was yeah. already in production. Oh, wow. And I pulled the plug on it. This was December 5th. And, and I felt like that was the obedience step to striding, to walking, to not burning out, to, to doing less so God could do more. We ended up doing that and I'm twiddling my thumbs the next two weeks. Like right. what in the world is about to happen? And um, December 23rd, 24th, a young lady that we never met, doesn't go to the church, not a celebrity, posted a two-minute clip of Relationship Goals, a series I did in August. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is December. I did it in August. She's watching it. And, oh, I forgot to tell you, one of the only things that I did um, as a pastor in my first year is I felt very strong like we were supposed to buy new cameras for our church. Oh, okay. And so... 
We had several families that left the church. <laughs> over the camera over purchase. Over $80,000 of camera purchases. Mm -hmm. And for two and a half years, um, we saw nothing happen from it, except we would put our messages from Sunday on YouTube. Yeah. And a hundred, about a hundred people would watch outside of Transformation Church. Most of them were my mother going back and watching, be like, that's my baby, Hercules. They, they were, <laughs> she was just happy for me. But, um, and so for two and a half years, nothing. So now fast forward back to 2017, this girl posted and um, two million people watched this relationship gold clip in 48 hours. Insane. It's completely insane. And she posted on Twitter and I didn't have a Twitter account at the time that I was managing. So it was like God was using all of these things to say, hey, listen, because you obeyed me, you did less, you, I'm about to do more. And I'm about to do it in the most unconventional way so that people can see this wasn't you, it was me. Wow. And um, so then I'm, I'm sitting there oblivious to what's going on because I don't yeah. have a Twitter. And all I know is Insta Instagram starts blowing up. I had 4,800 followers on Instagram and I'm at dinner at P.F. Chang's with my wife and I'm like, Babe, Instagram says I have 14,000 followers. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah. I was like, we just added 10,000 Instagram followers today. And I was like, oh, Instagram is broken. You know, they have yeah, some yeah, yeah. I think what they did is Black Panther had just came out. They thought I was Michael B. Jordan, not Michael Todd. <laughs> and so, but I'm not going to tell Instagram. And next day, 10,000 more followers. Thursday, 10,000 more followers. I'm like, what is going on? And then I start getting, um, talking to some people at our church and they're like, yeah, people are posting all over Facebook, the relationship goals thing. And I'm like, what are you talking? Like, I, I literally was oblivious. And then we started seeing different things and people were like, who did you hire? And we're getting calls from different people. Like, who's your um, PR agency? <laughs> and I'm like, PR agency, what are you talking about? Cause we at the time had less than 12 staff members. So like, this is a, we didn't have nobody cutting up uh, videos and putting them on Facebook. That was all the people being impacted, doing it on their own. So th these people became the marketing team and they're sharing it with their friends and their groups and all that other stuff. So, so what ends up happening in this moment is we go from 1,800 YouTube subscribers to 100,000 in less than 45 days. Man. And I'm looking at it like what's happening, but the thing was, is that we didn't have even a real working church website at the time. So when people saw this two minute clip, they were like, we gotta hear the whole sermon. So they go and they, they look, they type in Michael Todd relationship goals and they find an eight part series. Right. So they start binge watching it like it was Netflix. They're telling all their friends about it, all this stuff. And so then after they finish relationship goals, they find out there's two and a half years worth of the same type of content on different um, plat different subjects, yeah. which speaks to me being obedient at the moment that I said, we got to get these cameras because when everything blew up, the people, we didn't have to create new content for them to fall in love with. Mm. They were um, um, falling in love with the content that had already been created. Yeah. So it became this thing where, have you heard of Michael Todd? Has this thing, oh, you got to watch this. Oh, this is a series on finances. This is a series on relationship. This is a series on damaged goods. And people watching, and to this day, hundreds of thousands of people watch those series right now, today, every week. Which you had been doing when there were 200 people in the room. When there was nobody watching. Isn't that incredible? It's so incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's a story you couldn't engineer, a story you couldn't write. Can't make up. Disney couldn't write mm -hmm. this. It's kind of one of those things that it's like, um, it's just been a real divine work. Any idea, I'm not sure there's an answer to this, Mike, but any idea why your content resonates so much? Um, yeah, I have a little idea. I'm actually authentic. Mm. Like everybody buttons up, especially in church yeah. to give people, even when people are like, I'm going to be real right now. <laughs> they like, it's like the fake real. It's like the right. like. There's a little bit. Yeah, let me yeah. give you a little more than what the average. I'm, I'm authentic. Mm. I talk about my struggle with pornography. Um, I, when I was coming into ministry, I talk about. Um, having a potential felony case at one time. I talk about the real issues that we have in our marriage and I always go to the raw of what the issue was and then I show the answer, which is Jesus all the yeah. time. And I think people can identify with that. 
I think the the plastic, the fake, the edited, the uncensored, everything in our lives is getting more um, unfiltered except the church a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is we have the answer for all of the raw, perverted, messed up things that are going on in society. But a lot of people are scared to lose touch with their donors, with the people that have signed up to this for it being too controversial. And I have nothing to lose. Like, mm. honestly, when I've come into this, I knew it was God. And if all of this goes away tomorrow, I'm good. I was going to ask you that. Do you still feel like you have nothing to lose? Nothing to lose. Wow. Nothing. Like, I didn't do this. Like, I'm sitting in this auditorium right now and uh, it's paid off. We, yeah. we, we we paid it off in seven months and all this other stuff. And all this can, can go away, but I'll still embody the vision. I'll be mm. representing God to lost people and found people for transformation in Christ. Whether it's at FedEx, whether it's in a studio, whether I was doing this vision before it was a church vision. And that's what I'm trying to get people to understand is God doesn't care about the organization as much as he cares about the organism. When, when you embody like what the word of God says, when you become a living epistle, when your business is so successful that people that don't even believe like you believe are asking like, what are you doing? <laughs> we have more people checking into what Transformation Church is doing, not because they love God or they they wanna uh, know more about Jesus. It's because like, you just bought an arena and you're 33 <laughs> and you don't have a college education. You have six months of Tulsa Community College. How did you do that? And because my life, is a living epistle. I can't tell this story without um, people knowing there's some divine things happening in here. Then it becomes the one thing that I don't have to be afraid to secure something that I didn't give myself. So fame and celebrity can be hard at the best of times. Yeah. What's this doing to your soul? Man, I believe that it's exposing what's actually there. And that's all light can do. Like mm. all light can do is illuminate what's already there. So when a spotlight gets turned on you, when cameras are turned on you, when anything, people think that that's something they can hide behind. No, that's the only thing that really exposes you. And um, I, have, I have had the awesome opportunity of being exposed in safety. I have people that are around me that know me, that know my heart, that know my heart's desire. And God's brought people into my life like Rich Wilkerson and Tim Ross and Stephen Ferding and Pastor Robert Morrison and, and different people that if I called their name, you wouldn't know them because right. they, don't, they don't have to have anything. But they've been able to be around the number one being my wife and my parents who are still sitting on the front row every Sunday yeah. with me in ministry. Like those people, I've been able to be like, hey, what does money do to you? And be able to figure that out in safety. Hey, what is being able to have a picture with everybody you paid to go to their conference two weeks, two years ago? <laughs> right. Like, what does it look like for them to text you and ask you to be a part of stuff? And then you have to obey God and say, I can't come because God told me to stride. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been able to do it in safety and um, I've been able to counsel. Me and my wife have done um, two weeks and we're headed to a third one here very soon of intense counseling, three hours um, every day for five days straight. Um, of counseling, but it's been the most refreshing thing because the Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Why did you go? Why did I go? The counseling. I went to counseling for a few reasons. Um, number one, me and my wife, the initial reason was trying to navigate um, the season we're in with everything that's happening with my son and the, the disappointment and all of the firsts that we miss and his, he has a younger sister, Ava, now, and she can talk her talk everybody's head off, but she's two and he's four and she has more words than him. Just navigating all of the disappointment and pe being people of great faith, mm. but being very disappointed in a situation and yeah. touching everybody else's family and really having to deal with the tension of like, I believe God, but why hasn't this situation changed? So we were navigating that as a couple individually and we was like, oh, we're going to go to counseling. And when we got there, it was so much more about us and not that situation. Right. And, and really what God's doing in us in the season that we're in and how all of the little traumas, success is trauma. Yeah, it is. People don't understand that. No, they they, don't they get think it. that the trauma they go through of, you know, not being able to pay bills or having to work on a small business is like a thing. But success is a huge trauma. How has that been traumatic for you? It success. has been, it's been traumatic because it's been fast. 
And, and it's been traumatic because everything that I do is in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Right. Like there's nothing, like I can't fail small. How, how does that pressure feel, Mike? Um, it's one of those things that, and I don't know if this is the right answer, but it's the truthful one. Yeah. I feel like I was built for it. Yeah. Like, I don't know how else to say it. I work very well under pressure. The one thing that I've had to learn is uh, that everybody does it. Yeah. And, and that has, because of the people factor of it, because of the people I love, because of my wife, my family, my team, I've had to slow down. That's why God, I believe, gave me that word stride. Yeah. Because my motor, like, let's go full it steam ahead. But you miss miracles when you go fast. And, 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 and you miss opportunities to touch people. So you remember in the Bible when Jairus yeah. was, was saying, hey, my daughter's dying, Jesus, will you come? He says, I'm coming. But he walked there. How do we know he walked? Because he went at a pace that a whole crowd of people could be around him. And a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years mm -hmm. was able to reach out and touch him. If he was running, she would have never been able to even touch him. If he was going as fast as he could go, it, he could have floated there. He could have <laughs> walked through a wall, but he was walking at a pace where people could keep up and a miracle could happen. And, and for me, when we went to counseling, when, when we did these different things, it was making me step back and be like, yeah, we just got to stay in the pace of grace. Like we got we to gotta make sure our soul is healthy. We got to make sure that we've had fun, that we enjoy these moments, that we, we can step back and pray and look at each other and be like, can you believe what God did? And, um, it's helped us so much in our marriage. We are about to celebrate 10 years of marriage. It's crazy Congrats. that this, this book, Relationship Goals, is coming out at a point where we're celebrating 10 years. And we met when she was 14 and I was 15. Wow. So we've been together for a very long time. and uh, But our marriage is stronger than it's ever been. Our yeah. family is stronger than it's ever been. Our ministry is stronger than it's ever been. And I've done less than I've ever done. Yeah, that's kind of because we were talking about that. Like you actually... When you, I, was it right after that first counseling round, you just kind of cleared the deck for six it or seven right months? It was right before. Right before. Right so before. Talk, take us through that. So I think this thing of striding, people, people we said less is more, but there's seasons that um, stride doesn't have to do with um, fast or slow. Yeah. It has to do with what you're graced for in that season. And a lot of people, they just run at this motor, like this is how I do, but maybe you were graced to do that in one season but now the season has changed and you need to find the pace of grace in that season. Mm. The result is the same. The, the, the increase is the same, but you're not burnt out at the end of it or right. your marriage is not failing at the end of it. And what ended up happening was I had 2018, um, God opened up doors and I spoke at some of the most influential churches and conferences ever. And yeah. it was like, what is happening? And so we was like, okay, 2019, let's keep going. And in 2019, I had bookings in 2022. Like, yeah. it was like ridiculous stuff. And then I got to about June or July and in prayer, um, I felt like God was like, hey, you need to check with your wife and see how everything's going. So we had a big team meeting and she was like, Mike, I really need you. I'm overwhelmed with stuff that's happening with MJ. Just take a few less engagements. And I was like, okay, cool, we'll do that. That morning I woke up with such a conviction on my heart that my first ministry is my family. Mm. And um, God gave me scripture for it and all this other stuff. And I was like, I'm canceling everything. I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. I went to my team. I went to my church. I went to the people. I had 13 engagements, arena engagements. I mean, thousands of people on the billboards, all this other stuff. And I was so worried about my reputation and I'm new in this and da, 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 da. And God said, you know, this is me and I'll protect mm. your reputation. I'll be your refuge. I'll be your, and so I was like, okay, and I, I called a couple of very influential leaders and asked them how would they approach this? And I got wisdom because there's, yeah. there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And, um, and then I did it. I canceled all 13 engagements. And so literally, um, I didn't have any engagements from July, 2019 until um, January, 2020. Cleared the deck. But at the moment I obeyed to stride again, God opened up this building. Two Isn't weeks that later, incredible? Two weeks later, this building opens up. We then do our first conference and 4,500 people come from all over the world. 50, somebody from every state in the U.S., including Alaska, was at this conference in 30 different countries. And it was our first conference. We sold out two weeks before the conference. 
Like it was Easy. like all of these amazing things begin to happen. We weren't supposed to move into this building, Carrie, until um, next September. <laughs> and we, on the second night of the conference, I just felt like, yo, we can't go back to that converted grocery store. We have to, like, we got to, God saying this is it. So literally on a Thursday during a conference, <laughs> I tell the team, we're not going back to our other location. We're staying here. And they're like, oh, great. <laughs> but I mean, logistically, we had nothing here. Um, Jeremy Foster preached at our church yeah. that Sunday and Hope City um, moved by faith. They paid for um, the rental equipment for that day, which was $60,000 oh just for the day. Wow. And literally during the week, I have a picture of it. This entire arena empty, no sound equipment, no music equipment, everything. Because we rented it for a conference and we had to have church here on Sunday. <laughs> I gave our sound people. It's crazy until it happens. Uh-huh. And that's why this whole thing of crazy faith, I, 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 I really do think some, some of my ones are like, I could never work with him like, <laughs> or anything. But it's one of those things that it's really been shaking people's faith of what's possible. And um, I'm happy to report seven months later, we own every piece of equipment in this building. Which Everything is, is paid off. Yeah. Um, and, and you pay, I mean, it was built for how much? $54 million. And it's you got it for? For 10.5. Yeah. It was, it's 162,000 square feet uh, arena and office spaces, four stories of office spaces. And it came with a hundred, uh, I mean, a 975 car covered parking garage. And we bought the entire thing for 10.5 million. We took the loan out in August and we paid it off in, in seven months. That's exceptional. That's God. So, <laughs> I we could be here all day. Yes, sir. And I wish I was here all day. Come on, man. Uh, but let's talk about your book. Yes, sir. Uh, for the three people who haven't read it by the time <laughs> this comes out, would you tell us this is the series that kind of blew up that yes, you've sir. now turned into book form, but you didn't, it's different because it's different. you shared with me the vision behind the book. Yeah, so um, I grew up in church. Um, I was a wild child, so, like, I heard all the stuff we were supposed to do and, like, did the exact opposite. Uh -huh, you know uh -huh, what I'm saying? I and um, one of the things that I realized as I navigated through my relationship journey is out of all the sermons, all the lessons, all the things that I learned, nobody really talked about relationships. It was kind of like you had one rule. Don't have sex before you're married. <laughs> And it was kind of like, uh-oh, well, what happens if you've done that? What happens if you were violated young? What happens if you went to your uncle's house and found some um, magazines under the bathroom? Cap like, what happened? Like, there was no instruction. And I decided that a lot of me and Natalie's struggles and successes were accidents. Uh, they weren't intentional. Right. And this phrase came up called relationship goals. And I begin to think about that. How can you have a goal if you don't have aim? Hmm. And there are so many people that want relationship goals. They want their husband or wife to be this or that. And they got their list and all that other stuff. But relationally, they get friends, they date, and they marry people with no aim. And I thought like, hey, why don't I take what I didn't have and instead of complaining about it, become a solution. Mm -hmm. And I really wrote this book for my granddaughter. And that's does crazy. not exist. That does not <laughs> exist right now. I am 33 years old and my oldest child is six. Right. But I thought about what if I wrote a playbook of things that I've learned from the word of God in my actual um, life that my granddaughter or grandson could pick up mm. and be able to have um, an understanding of what I had to figure out, yeah. which with a lot of hurt, with a lot of frustration, with a lot of accidents, because I just had no understanding. Mm -hmm. And where there's no, no wisdom or no knowledge, people perish because of a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. And I believe in this time that we live in, where more people don't want to be in relationships, they just want to have friends with benefits, they want to Netflix and chill, mm -hmm. they want to create babies and, and have children outside of the context of family. It's just all these things. I think it's one of those things that if we're going to win in relationship, we need to go back to the originator of relationship, which is God. And we need to figure out what are those truths that last. And let's set that as the target because culture is really setting the target for relationships. And it's an ever moving target. What marriage was in the sixties is different 
than what marriage is in the 90s and it's completely different than what it is today. And that moving target allows people not to truly aim. And so I decided, hey, let's get a real goal for relationships and let's win in relationships. And I am really excited to be able to share um, some of the things that I found from people who are dating and and need to figure out a system to do that in which they can get in and get out of. Today, dating is like getting married. Like once you're Facebook official, it's <laughs> yeah. like you have to have a divorce to like right, to right. not be in relationship with those people, to f- intentional friendship, to what happens um, if you're on your second marriage or what happens if you're single and becoming content in singleness? How do I know a relationship needs to end? Like all of these different things we have tried to concisely and authentically put into this book that'll help people win in relationships. Was writing hard for you or easy? Um, I think that writing is hard for me. Talking is not hard yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, I can tell. Talking. And so we found a process where I could really dictate um, most of this and then put it in somebody's hands that could um, put it together. And then I went back and fine tooth combed and rewrote basically the whole book. So I kind of find, I found my process to like talk it out first, put it in book form and was like, I would never ever say that. And so basically rewrite the book with the format and uh, we came out with relationship goals. Um, last question for you. And again, we could have gone on and You got two hour. more in you. Come All on. All right. Yeah, I, I like got, talking I got to you. Listen, you know a good interview? Yeah. I didn't even look at my iPad. Oh, wow. And uh, I think I looked once. So wow. that's a good interview. So I guess I can close it now. Okay, come All on. All right. Man. I can close it now. <laughs> um, take us through, because this is breakneck speed. Yeah. And uh, I love the part of your story where it's, you know, years without momentum, just a lot of crazy faith. Yeah. Uh, that's going to speak to a lot of leaders, but there are people who are on a rocket ride right now yep. listening to this podcast too in business and in church world. Um, walk us through. So you've shut yourself down numerous times. You've gone offsite to counseling yep. three rounds, which is good. I take a month sabbatical every year. You take a month sabbatical every year. Yep. So talk about that. What do you do um, with that? I, I, this is a spiritual practice for me uh-huh. that is very hard. So I want to preface it by that because I feel like if I'm here, if I can do what I need to do, it at least if it fails, it was my fault. Right, right. But this is where I put the ministry and the church back in God's hand every year. And this mm-hmm. is another thing that keeps me humble is I walk away from everything, office, business. If, if it's not on fire and burning down, don't call me about it. And it makes me know this is God's church. Mm-hmm. It's not mine. And he is going to be his before me and it'll be be his after me. And I go away, I go on a week vacation with my wife and uh, um, we have a great time just connecting and thanking God for everything that he's doing. I come back and we do what we call PK vacay, which is my kids are young right now, but we spend and plan out seven whole days of going to the zoo, going to the activity, making gack, making slime, doing all this (laughs) other stuff, but making it just completely intentional. I've seen too many ministers, business leaders, as well as CEOs lose their family and gain money gain success, gain um, affluence. And I was like, we're not going to do that. And so we we are intentional with that. Then that third week I do what I call honey-do list. Like everything that I should have hung, put up, painted, I do that. And that last week, then I go away and I um, seek God. Wow. I go read, I go uh, pray, I write down vision. And relationship goals came the first message off a of sabbatical. Really? The first message after I recreated, that's what that word means, recreation, yeah. it's recreating. And God could have built everything in six days, but he put in there another day that is counted, but he said he rested. And there are too many of us that are not doing the things that we need to do to recreate. We're just continuing to create. And what happens is if you don't get a re-up of the creation, it sometime it'll run out. And I decided we're gonna do that. And again, it's a spiritual practice. It's a trust practice. It, it feels like, oh, I'm sitting here and I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and it takes me a week and a half, two weeks to even turn off. But mm. at the level that God is blessing, he's like, the church grows when I'm gone. It's like mm. almost like maybe I don't need to come back. <laughs> or, 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 or we see more mentor more. I get the best ideas coming off a of sabbatical. And it's one of those things that um, it helps me. And I just would encourage anybody who's on a rocket ship ride, yeah, yeah. like turn them off. Right. Less is more. We Less talked about that before. Is more. 
And people don't get that. They do not get it because they want it to never stop. And this is the thing. Either it's going to stop involuntarily or you're going to stop and make it last. I can tell you all about that one day. Yes, sir. That's what happened to me. Um, when did you start your sabbatical? What year? Um, at the year I became the pastor of the really? church. Really? 2015. 2015. So when you had 150 people. Literally, yeah. I, that first time I was like, I'm going to come back and the church is going to be completely gone. Because <laughs> February 1st, 2015, I became the pastor. July, my um, mentor said, you got to leave. He said, you got to teach the people that your priority is not the church. It's mm. your family. And if you teach them early, some people will leave. He said, but the people who get it, they'll respect you and honor you for it. And that has been, I literally get up and tell my church every time that we take a sabbatical, I said, I'm giving you permission as the pastor of this church to take two weekends off of coming here for the purpose of intentionally connecting with your family. And I've never heard that from a pulpit. No, I've never heard that either. But why in the world would we have people come? We're healing stuff that could be healed if you took a break. We're praying for stuff. We're, we're sending people to counseling and doing stuff that if you would just stop and look at your wife and pay attention to your kids and actually like go do something you like to do that, that you lose money at. Yeah. Like it would give back to you in a way that would allow you to last. And a lot of people aren't lasting. You see these rocket ship stories, but as my friend Judah Smith would say, I want to be better at 70. Like mm -hmm. I'm 33 years old. I don't know how long I'm going to be a pastor. If God's done all of this in five years, I don't know what he's going to do. I'm 40 in seven years. Yeah. I don't know what 40 looks like for me. What I am going to know is that my wife will be a priority. My children will know that I love them. And I'll be obedient to whatever God tells me to do. Wow. I'm going to strive. Anything else you want to share, Mike? I like you, Carrie. <laughs> I, like you, I, I mean, this is fun for me, man. I, yeah. I honestly am. I'm excited about um, all of the people in that are listening right now that have a huge dream. And I just want to let you know I'm living proof that if you follow the playbook that you feel in your heart that has been set out for you at some point. At some time, I'm not saying it'll happen in five years. I'm not saying it'll happen in 10. All this could be gone tomorrow. What we're trying to do right now is live at 51%. And so I'm encouraging you, everybody that's listening, live at 51%. You got it. I'm in. I'm down. Relationship goals available everywhere. Everywhere. Every, literally everywhere. Hopefully it'll everywhere. Probably be the number one <laughs> book in the world. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mike, what a gift this has been. And you've been so generous with your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Man, this has been fun, Carrie. I appreciate you, man. Hey, by the way, for those of you who love YouTube and who doesn't, um, there is a really wonderfully produced video version of this interview. If you want to use it for team study, you want to look at it again, you can find that over at my YouTube channel. And uh, man, <laughs> that was so rich. There are transcripts, there are show notes, and you can find that all at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 336. Um, coming up next episode, well, <laughs> Mike Todd, part two. Uh, here's a little excerpt from that. It was, uh, it was pretty great. Well, this is the metric that's going to matter to most pastors. Our giving has doubled. Wow. And, and so, I mean, 100% more. And I, I, I say that to say that it's real to the people. Like, if you could get over you and, like, get over, like, how it feels to you, I am breaching in an arena that seats 4,500 people with less than 10 people in it every week. Mm -hmm. But it is real to the end user. And there is no way, Carrie, that we could have fit the amount of people that we reached last week into our building if we had 20 services. So that is tomorrow on the podcast. Subscribers, you get it all for free. And uh, yeah, we just sat down with Mike and talked about what's changed in the last 40 days. And he was super transparent. And if you want to see the future, I told him when I was done, I wanted to call the episode, hey, the future called, and his name is Mike Todd. Um, this guy gets it at a level that most ministry leaders don't. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, also, if you haven't yet checked out my crisis course, we've had probably by the time you hear this, pushing 8,000 leaders take it. It's absolutely free. You can text the word crisis to 33777 to get in or just go to howtoleadthroughcrisis.com. And as we move into what I'm thinking about, 
Thank you to our partners, Ministry Boost. They've got a brand new resource you can get very inexpensively, $25 for a new family retention plan and a free resource that helps you navigate what's ahead at ministryboost.org forward slash carry and something brand new, crafting character all about communication. You can get 20% off registering before May 15th at craftandcharacter.org. So if you're a communicator and you're not going anywhere to learn at conferences, you'll want to definitely check this out with Steve Carter, Darius Daniels, myself, and Sean Morgan. Uh, We're so happy to bring that to you. Now, here's what I am thinking about right now. Tomorrow, Mike and I do a deep dive on what to measure in online attendance, but this has become a huge issue. And at the time that I'm recording this episode, which is about seven days before you hear it, 80% of all churches now are experiencing the same attendance levels that they did in person or increased. It's now 59% who say they're growing. Now, the critics say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do we know what to count? How do you even measure online growth? So uh, I want to unpack that a little bit for you. And let's uh, take a few questions. Question number one, should three-second Facebook views count as online attendance? It's a great question to ask because if you look at how, uh, if you're broadcasting on Facebook Live, and this, this is true, by the way, business leaders, content creators, anybody, not just online church, you think, wow, 8,000 people watched my video. But then when you go into analytics, you learn that maybe you had 8,000 three-second views Uh, only had, say, 3,000 10-second views. And how many one-minute views do you have? Well, on a recent video I did, uh, it dropped from 7,800 to 3,000 in 10 seconds. One-minute views, 1,100. So all of a sudden, you know, your metrics get just slaughtered, right? Uh, But it's really easy to say, oh, yeah, 8,000 people watched the video. Well, for three seconds, does that actually count? And obviously, There are a variety of opinions, but what I would want to suggest, and we'll pick up this conversation tomorrow with Mike on the next episode of the podcast, you probably want to count conservatively because, yeah, it's great to have a three-second, somebody scrolled through your feed, Facebook registered it, they went, oh yeah, I saw that, Uh, but you're not really reaching people. I'm not really influencing people at the three-second level. If somebody has watched for 10 seconds, you can argue they stopped to pay attention. I would probably use the one-minute metric And uh, that's where you discover, okay, somebody listened enough to engage, perhaps to remember. And uh, and I would even pay more attention to engagement, which we will get into tomorrow again on this show. But counting three-second views on Facebook as attenders is kind of like counting people who drive by your building as attenders. Probably not a wise strategy or one that you can build the future on. So uh, the other thing you'll get on any metrics, YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook is average watch time. So on that video in question where there were 7,800 views, people on average watched my video for 20 seconds. Now remember, that average is down because of the people who are on for three seconds, you know. But you really start to drill into the metrics and your four-minute video was only accessed for an average of 20 seconds. So can I really claim that a 1,000 people watched my video if they didn't watch the whole thing? Well, That's where I'm going to switch it up a little bit and say, hey, guys, that's the internet. I mean, that's how I behave. That's how you behave. It is life online in 2020. And as much as I would love everyone to say, okay, you memorized the entire talk I gave, it's probably not realistic. And think about it. If you were in person, because people, you know, in person, you can count 400 people in the room or whatever. Um, But do you start discounting attendance based on who's really paying attention? You know, does someone's attendance only count if they can tell you the main point of the sermon? or if they could tell you all five key points of the message, or do you only count their attendance if they can pass a sermon comprehension test on the way to the parking lot, right? Or or what about worship? How many people attended worship? Well, do you subtract people who didn't sing? Do they count? Uh, Do you eliminate people who didn't raise their hands? Or what about the people who sang the lyrics but didn't really mean it in their hearts? You see what I mean? You can start discounting everything, and this is where there's a line. I would be on the conservative side, maybe do the one-minute views, but if you're like, well, they didn't all listen to the end, and, you know, da, 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 da. it's like, well, you know, even when people are in the room, are they really paying attention or not? So before you write off online church or online anything, as America reopens and the world reopens, probably in stages, remember this, over 1 billion hours of video are watched every day on YouTube. That's every single day. Some of that is actually real focused engagement. Now, if you're a podcaster like I am, uh, you can go into Apple Podcast Connect. And I really worry at times about, you know, long-form podcasting, hour, hour and a half episodes. 
Well, that'll tell you how many people listen. And about people listen to somewhere between, depending on the episode, 50 to 90% of these episodes on average, which is good, which means most of you are listening pretty much all the way through the end. Most of you are listening. It's not, you know, if I had a 90-minute show and people are engaged for 10 minutes of that, I got to rethink my format. But the vast majority of people actually listen to the whole thing, which is really super encouraging. So remember, there are people online every day and you can get too conservative and say, well, they're not really listening till the end, so I'm not going to produce content. Over 1 billion hours of video are watched every day on YouTube every single day. So you can go back to your room of 200 people or 2,500 people, unplug your online ministry, or you can figure out how to do both well. And then finally, I'm going to ask this, should you use an attendance multiplier? We've touched on this before on the podcast. Uh, many churches use 1.7 as a multiplier. So in my Facebook video example, 1,100 views becomes 1,800 in attendance. Now, why a multiplier? Because uh, unlike podcasting for video, sometimes families gather to watch a video or friends gather or a team gathers. So um, I would tend to lean away from using multipliers um, because already your one minute view stat is pretty generous. But if you want to use it, there's a couple ways to do it. Number one, err on the side of conservatism. I would go with 1.4 or 1.7. Or number two, find out how many people are actually attending. So uh, if you have a little sign-in or a welcome card, ask people how many people are watching with you. Once you get about 100 results, you can average it out and you can go, oh, actually in our case, it's about 3.8 or, <laughs> you know, it's 0.5. So whatever that, it wouldn't be 0.5, but you know what I mean, 1.5 or whatever, whatever the multiplier is, but you want to be accurate because here's what I believe. And a lot of these are vanity metrics. The more a leader exaggerates or distorts the truth, the harder it is to trust him or her. So you really don't want to be exaggerating. You know, when I share some of the stats on this platform with clients, I want to make sure that they are 100% accurate. I want to make sure that we are not exaggerating, we're not boasting, we're not lying. That if we say we have 11.3 million downloads, we actually have 11.3 million downloads. That, you know, I can say, no, we actually know the numbers on listener retention. Yes, it's a long form podcast, but depending on the episode, People listen to 50 to 90% of the way through the entire episode. Not bad in an attention economy where attention deficit seems to be the case. And then obviously, we'll talk about this again tomorrow on the podcast, but you can start to track engagement over time. And as you grow your email list, as you see in a church case, Decisions for Christ, as you see clients, customers jump on board, as you see people interacting, engaging, that's when you really know you're making traction. And uh, so those are some thoughts. That's what I'm thinking about. How do you count online attendance? That's my shot at it for now. Uh, I love these days. Crisis is an accelerator and we all are moving fast through this space. We are back tomorrow with a fresh Mike Todd episode where if you enjoy this kind of nerdy conversation that I've had at the end, Mike and I go at it. How do you count online? Uh, how do you make an impact online? Why is there traffic up 10x during coronavirus? Yeah, we're going to talk about that and so much more tomorrow. It's a short episode, uh, probably, I don't know, 40 minutes max. So uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. Then we're back Thursday with a fresh episode as well. So yeah, kind of new stuff here on the podcast. But hey, crisis is the cradle for innovation, is it not? Thanks, guys, for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.